Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. Let's welcome our guest, Jason Stewart's with us, Executive Director of the Dawson County Economic Development Council and also Vice Chair of the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority. Jason, good morning. How's it going? Good morning, Tom. It's going well. How are you this morning? Oh, hanging in there. I thought uh, I've got a bit of a cough going on. So um, uh, you, uh, I, I got a bit of a cold too, Tom, so I hope I'm not too congested oh, over the air here. I was going to give you the floor. and uh, <laughs> uh, Okay, well, then we'll... Uh, We'll hack it out together. All right. Sounds good. You guys are moving along in this. Let's talk about some of these new developments. you got a nice grant that will probably answer a lot of questions a lot of people have on it. And then at the same time, there was some money for the Empire Builder, at least the federal government, recognizing um, uh, I think the, a, a statement needs to be made about support for that line as well. But uh, Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, you're right. We got we actually got two nice grants, Tom, uh, and uh, and both. Both say a lot about what the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority is, who we're uh, who we're trying to support, and how far that we've come. Um, the The biggest news for us, obviously, is that uh, we were accepted into the Federal Railroad Administration's Quarter ID program, uh, which is something that was created as a result of the bipartisan infrastructure law passed a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, it, it's just a huge, uh, a really enormous step uh, for the rail authority to to, to take. Um, it, this really is is the first passenger rail service through Southern Montana in a, over 43 years ago in October October of 1979. No group, single person, nobody has pushed it this far forward towards restoration in the 43 years since. So. Uh, in the three years that BSBRA has been active, uh, we have made a lot of headway, and we are now at the point where, uh, as we like to say, the the station the the train is starting to leave the station. So it's uh, you know it's 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 time for everybody to jump on board and and realize how far we're we're pushing this forward. Well, not everybody's on board, Jason. Um, and and there's... I, we're aware of that. Yeah. We are aware. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and so. Uh, Let's talk about some of those things that are keeping them on board. There's more to talk about, too, about what your association is doing and, and who's on board in that regard. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, since we're there, the, talk about um, the, the cost estimate, the, the scope of this. Talk about those those things that you, that everybody needs, those questions that need to be answered right. before you and get these, more people on board. Right. These are questions that are going to be answered through the work that we're about to start doing by being in the uh, quarter ID program. Uh, so with our with our quarter ID designation, and, and there's a couple of things important to note here about it is that the the FRA uh, gave out awarded 69 routes, uh, 69 routes across the country were awarded in this first round of quarter ID program, uh, but only one of those 69 is a national network long distance route at over 2,200 miles total length from Chicago to Seattle. And that is the root of the former, what was North Coast Limited under the Northern Pacific, and then the North Coast Hiawatha under Amtrak. So we are the only long-distance route included in the quarter ID program. And I think that in itself says a lot about the work that the BSPRA has been able to do over the, the past three years and the, and the level of 
the level of focus. We've gotten the FRA and, and people from around the, the state and the region and the country uh, up to the national level to pay attention to what we're doing here and, and the real the need for this route to be restored. Um, so, so that's a big thing to, to note there is, you know, we are, the again, the only national long-distance route accepted into this program. Uh, it comes with an initial award of, of uh, half a million dollars, $500,000 to the BSPRA. So there's, this is actually a three-quarter ID is a three-step program. So stay, step one is where we are right now. We got our $500,000 reward. Uh, now what BSPRA is going to do is work together with our partners, uh, including the FRA, Amtrak, BNSF, uh, our, our engineering firms we work with. And at the end of that, we have a step one is for us to deliver a, a scope of work planning document. Uh, that will cover the the scope of the the restored route, uh, proposed schedule, and proposed uh, base estimate budget for for the train to run. Uh, so it's important to note that F, that this is a three step process, and then there's step two and step three. And step two and step three is when the serious money starts to roll in. And what's critical to this too is that we're in. BSBRA does not have to reapply for step one and step three. As long as we deliver our deliverable at the end of step one, we are, this is important to note, Tom, getting in the quarter ID program puts the route, as as we've been told by FRA, in the pipeline for this route to be restored. So we get step one done, then step two opens up the potential for millions of dollars to come our way. Uh, with that, we'll have to work on a service development plan, working in conjunction with the FRA. Uh, that will include uh, getting a capital project inventory together, uh, getting engineering firms working on the to suss out what the actual infrastructure needs are for the rail line to, to be able to restore passenger rail service on it, uh, and and you know in a way that will benefit. Uh, and not just allow for it, but also uh, benefit both passenger and freight rail operations, uh, where the station locations are going to be, uh, and what the service frequency will be. Now, and when it comes to service frequency, something that we are very uh, we are very adamant about is at the end of the day what we would like to see, and not just for this route but for the Empire Builder as well, is twice daily service in each direction. Uh, so that, you know, people aren't stuck waiting on a train that comes in once a day in the middle of the night, right? It needs to be a service that people can uh, easily access at least one time a day. Uh, So we want those trains coming through twice a day in each direction at the end of the day. We get step two done, uh, and then we're on to step three. Step three is the final design. Uh, That's doing the the hardcore engineering, the environmental impact statements, and coordinating with the FRA towards actual construction and implementation of the route. So step two and step three are millions upon millions of dollars that we're, again, in the pipeline to get. We don't have to reapply for them. As long as we follow the process as outlined and do our work well and continue to do our work well, uh, we're going to get to a point where we're bringing a lot of money into getting this and we're going to be moving forward, forward, forward uh, towards getting this line restored. A lot of so it is a huge win, a huge win. It is. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a lot that was accomplished uh, in that. Look, I'll take a break and come on back and we'll develop this further. Executive director of the Dawson County Economic Development Council is Jason Stewart, also vice chairs, the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority, looking to reestablish that southern route across Montana. What is this authority? I mean, I know there's some counties that have come along. You've got some municipalities 
that have come alongside ex officio members. I'm just reading off your uh, your release here. Um, some tribes, some railways. Uh, who are you guys? It is a very, the BSBRA is very. It's a big coalition, and what we are, and, and uh, we often have to kind of uh, straighten people out on this. Number one, what we're not. We are not a nonprofit group. Uh, what the BSBRA actually is, it is in reality a subdivision of the Montana state government. We are, in fact, the largest transportation district in the state of Montana. Uh, there was a law passed back in the 1990s uh, by the state legislature that allowed counties to come together for the purposes of forming a rail authority uh, to promote um, and, and protect uh, passenger rail service or freight rail service um, within their within their boundaries and as, as a coalition. Um, so that's what we, we dusted off that law. We got that together. We started out with a dozen counties, of which uh, Dawson County was one of the found, founding 12 members of the authority. And uh, as of today, we are up to 20 counties total. Now, only counties can join the authority as voting members per the state law that, that allows for us uh, to exist. Um, but we have ex officio members as well. Uh, we have uh, the Northern uh, Northern Cheyenne, Crow, and CSKT tribes uh, are all ex officio members, and, and their participation is very important because this uh, very much impacts and will benefit tribal communities as well. Uh, we have Amtrak also as a ex officio member. We have Montana Department of Transportation. And also importantly, we have BNSF Railway as a ex officio member, and that I think that's critical too to, because a lot of people will – some of the argument will sometimes get from certain corners is, oh, well, BNSF doesn't want this. The railways don't want this. They're dead set against it. No, they're not. They are at the table with us. Um, and uh, so so that's a false narrative that they're they're somehow opposed to, to this idea. They're with us. They're, they're, in, they're, they're, they're in the trenches with us on this. We also have, uh, while only counties can join as members, we have had municipalities. Most recently, the city of Billings passed a resolution. Uh, at the end of November, saying they wanted to join the authority. Now, legally, they can't join the authority, but uh, we are so happy to have uh, the city of Billings' uh, support and, and their want, their desire to have a seat at the table as we plan for this, being the, the largest city in Montana. And I think another, another thing important to note, Tom, is just what a diverse collection this is. The fastest hour in Montana radio continues. Call 866 866- Six two seven five four eight three, and join Montana's statewide radio talk show, Voices of Montana, with Tom Schultz. Too many cliches to just ignore. All aboard! The group is picking up steam. They're on the right track. Uh, Big Sky Passenger Rail. I know. <laughs> Apologies for that. But like I say, you can't ignore them. Uh, Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority. Big movement for them is that they've been chosen for the Federal Corridor ID and Development Program in their bid to restore a southern route across Montana. And also, um, it's going to uh, affect other states as well. Welcome back here. It's from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana. Tom Schultz alongside. appreciate you joining us here. Stewart, or Jason Stewart is with us here. Dawson County Economic Development Council, Executive Director there, and also Vice Chair of the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority, which, uh, as I mentioned, is, is moving along here with this idea. Jason, again, uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on here. And, and I've said, you know, uh, and, and when we talked with uh, David Strohmeyer, your commission chair or your authority chair, I should say, a while back, he talked about, um, you know, we don't know unless we walk this out and give it a shot. And you guys have made some some good movement here. I want to talk to them about some of the hard questions 
And and you was, you were saying that when you talk about uh, step one planning uh, this planning document, it's going to include a route. It's going to include a schedule. It's going to include a budget. A budget. You are in step one here, so you probably don't have those answers right now. But but talk. We don't about, have those yeah. answers right now. No, we don't. Uh, those answers, as far as you know, a budget. What's it going to cost to to restart the line? Yeah. We don't we don't have those answers yet. You know, that's that's going to be a function of you know what. What upgrades need to be made to the track, right? How many, you know, where do we need to put double tracking? Where do we need new sidings, longer sidings? Where do we need to improve crossings, uh, positive train control? Uh, all the things that station redevelopment, all the things that go into it. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a huge chunk that goes into it. Um, so if you're looking for, you know, what's the price tag of restoring this route, uh, we can't tell you that right now. That's that's a number we just don't have yet, and that's part of what we're going to be looking at through the corridor ID program. Is you know what's going to be the the infrastructure investment uh, to bring the track uh, up to snuff where uh, passenger trains can run twice daily in each direction, yeah. uh, and and allow for continued and efficient freight operations. Well, so, and that's that's the key question too that people are going to be asking because we are scrutinizing our spending. More and more nowadays, we're $31 trillion in debt. And so a guy and, like me is going to say, how can we justify this? Well, because we don't know a price tag on it yet as well. Right. Uh, well, you can justify it. And, you know, Tom, I, I, I teach history at Dawson Community College. I have a, I have a master's degree in history. Um, and this is an age-old debate, actually. It goes back to the very founding of the country about whether or not the federal government should be in the business of funding. Uh, back in the 1790s, they called them internal improvements. Today, we'd call them infrastructure, right? Roads, bridges, railroads, uh, ports, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, number one, um, it's gotten to be a – there's a funny narrative has developed in the last 60 years, whereas while – uh, for some reason, we have continued to be willing to invest billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in highways, in airports, in port facilities uh, all over the country at both the federal and state level. Uh, for some reason, we decided about a half a century ago or so that, uh, well, we, we, we don't want to – there's one transportation mode we don't want to spend uh, our taxpayer dollars on, and that's for some reason rail. Um, and it's, it's put a, a dent in our ability to, to move by rail, both in passenger terms and with freight rail as well. Uh, while, as you well know, Tom, the rest of the world is blowing by us on the rails, and, and here we are, the country that uh, basically invented and perfected rail service uh, have kind of been left in the dust because we stopped investing in it in any meaningful way. Um, so we, we on the one hand, we need to... We need to start reinvesting in our rail infrastructure for a lot of different reasons. Uh, uh, just moving goods around the country efficiently and uh, efficiently and effectively. I mean, I don't know if people know this, but a single freight train can halt, can take up to 300 trucks, semi trucks, off the highway. A single freight train can haul what th- what it takes 318 wheelers to haul. So it's enormous. It's still a very effective and efficient means of moving goods or people from one place to the other. Um, on top of that, passenger rail is beneficial economically. And I think this is where we can answer this question is, you know, what we're talking about, we're not talking about making a, you know, spending billions, hundreds of millions or a or billion dollars on, on, you know, some, you know, pet 
project service that doesn't do anybody any good. We're talking about an actual investment in our economy at the end of the day. So the, what, what we'll always point to is the fact that the Empire Builder, which everybody knows, they use it, they love it up there on the high line, it costs the federal government uh, roughly 50, uh, around $57, $58 million a year to run that train. That's the annual bill uh, that Congress pays to run the Empire Builder in its current, sta- in its current state. That $58 million investment leads to a $595 million economic output for the seven states the Empire Builder crosses, including $101 million of economic output for the state of Montana. Now, I don't know about you, Tom, but that's one hell of a return on your investment. Um, and, you know, I used to work in Congress for, for a U.S. Senator years ago, uh, about a decade ago, and, you know, in my time working on Capitol Hill, there's one of the quick things I learned was that most of our taxpayer monies go, most of our tax dollars go into a black pit of nothing, right? They, they don't, there's no return on the investment spent or very little of anything if there is one. But here we have something that there actually is a return on our investment, a huge return, an incredible annual return on that investment. And that return goes to the it goes to the state in the form of reduced uh, re- reduced cost on uh, highway maintenance, uh, better safety on the highways, uh, local economic development, uh, entrepreneurial opportunities, business opportunities that are created by the rail from new tourism, new visitors coming through town, uh, getting people from that first mile last mile connection, so shuttle services, uh, bike rentals, uh, all restaurants hotels, all that kind of thing benefit from it. And I know there's also the, you know, the classic uh, rejoinder that, well, Amtrak, Amtrak doesn't make any money. Uh, well, that, that might be true, uh, but uh, passenger rail makes a lot of money. It just doesn't make it for Amtrak. It makes it, and I think that's good. I actually think that's, that's for the best, that where it makes it is for the local economies, for the state economy, for the local Main Street businesses. That's who benefits from it. Um, so, so that's, you know, it, that's a huge thing and, and something we just have to point out. Uh, we, had a, we had a research note done, a kind of top-level, 30,000-foot-level economic study done on restoration of this route, and the, the estimate we got back was that at startup, not at, at, not at full development of service, but at startup, we'd be looking at about a $270 million uh, net economic impact to the to the southern route and to the states and communities along the southern route from that so it is an investment right it's an investment in our transportation networks an investment in our economy that repays can repay does repay multiple times over um and the, and qu- so- the question is though and, and i appreciate that and, and uh, you know those numbers uh, people will will dig into those and verify those because those are important as well because you're looking at this as a major uh, expenditure of, of uh, taxpayer money. Um, and so it, it comes down to, you know, cost versus service as well. Right. Um, how, how much of this do you have to justify um, in, in terms of the service? What kind of, what kind of service do you think just, and I know we don't have a handle on those costs yet. And I'm curious about if you've done some preliminary work because as, as you noted, there was kind of a laundry list. You got crossings and station development and, and switches, and there's there's a lot of things to look at. I'm curious as to, um, uh, you know, what that status is now. Maybe it's hard to tell 
at that point as well. But cost versus you know, service. It's hard, it's hard to tell that, actually. There, there was a study done in 2009 uh, by Amtrak that, that looked at some of that. Um, but that study is over a decade old now, and it's hard to – got to take yeah. anything in that study with a grain of salt because besides being a decade old – uh, we also know for a fact Amtrak, or not Amtrak, BNSF has put a significant significant amount of their own coin into that track uh, in that decade plus since yeah. that study came out uh, in terms of, you know, new sightings, new crossings, all that kind of stuff that some of the stuff that that study had identified has actually been taken care of uh, in the intervening period. So, again, it's it's hard to put any kind of well, – I'm not going to sit here and spitball estimates at right. you. You can't. Um, yeah. I can't. Right now, but what I will say in terms of you know besides the the economic benefit that passenger rail brings to communities um, and to our state, you know another thing that we talk about, and I, I know we're running out of time here, so I want to close okay. talking about transportation equity here. Okay, um, you know for people in Glendive, let, let's just break it down here for people in Glendive and all across eastern Montana, from Glendive to Helena is approximately 420, 430 miles to our state capital. And there is only one way that you can get there. One. And you know what that way is, right, Tom? Well, there's more than one way. Yes. Well, but, I, uh, you could, I guess you could technically fly. If no, you, you could go 200. You could go 200, and then you could also take the interstate. Well, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. when I say one way, I'm saying drive, right? That's I see. I, I see. Drive. One mode of transportation, pretty one much. You, transportation, you're pretty much right. right. Yeah. You can drive. A drive 400-something miles across long highways through what is, you know, now this winter being an outlier, but most winters, uh, you're talking about five months or so out of the year with some of the most treacherous uh, climate, climate conditions and driving conditions in the lower 48. Uh, so a lot of times that drive, you just can't make it. Um, and whether it's to Helena or Missoula or Bozeman or going the other direction to Bismarck or Fargo or Minneapolis, um, we have a lot of people, a lot of local people who, have, whether it's business ties, family ties, uh, medical needs are a big one, right? Uh, a lot of our citizens in this part of the country, this part of the state, uh, both on both in Montana and North Dakota, uh, have have medical needs and medical services they can't access uh, locally. They have to go to the bigger cities, which lie at some remove from their homes, and they can't fly there. Uh, the only way they can get there is to drive, and they got to load up in the car uncomfortable with their you know, walkers and their oxygen tanks and whatnot. And we've heard this from our local communities, from tribal communities, uh, what a big benefit it would be for, for people needing to access health care facilities, veterans, veterans care facilities, to be able to use this service where they can ride a train comfortably, a, a safe, affordable, comfortable, all-weather mode of transportation, can get them from point A to point B. Uh, we had a meeting here in Glendive back in May that uh, we got a set, a set of meetings around the state that we got a grant from the Montana Health Care Foundation for. And I, I had a couple here in Glendive at our meeting here tell a story about how, you know, uh, the husband went to Billings for a knee replacement surgery, and it was during the winter, and they got stuck because a blizzard came through. And they were stuck there for two or three days afterwards. And, and you know, their, their comment was, boy, how nice it would have been if we could have had a train to get home from Billings instead of having to sit there in a hotel room for three days and not being able to get home. Um, so 
to get our citizens, to give our citizens the same level of access to transportation that pretty much everybody else in the country enjoys, right? I mean, you go outside of this region and people can fly, they can drive, they can take a bus, they can take a train. Uh, they have all kinds of modes of transportation access. And here in uh, rural Montana, rural North Dakota, we just don't. Um, and we're, we're stuck driving very long ways across icy and treacherous roads. And that's just not that fun. I don't, I don't like white-knuckling it across, uh, across the Montana and Dakota prairies in the winter. Um, so, you know, for, for that purpose alone, it's a huge win for our, our local communities. It will, you know, make our quality of life that much better. It will make it, it, will make it more desirable to want to live in places like Glendive, like Cary, like Weibo, like Medora. It's just going to make it better for our society in, in this part of the country and in, in this part of uh, this little corner of our world here. Uh, to have access to that service would just be just be huge for us. Jason, I, I appreciate uh, the work you guys are doing on it as well. Uh, I think I've noted that I'm I'm one of your um, one of your skeptics out there, but I love rails. Um, I, I grew up with them, so uh, you know if it all pencils out, I'm on board. You know, uh, and and I suppose that's probably where a lot of people are too. We believe it pencils out. Yes, you know, I know. I love it. I love it. Walking you, it you out. Look, you look at what you look at the economic return, the the, the return on investment of the service, uh, the benefits that it provides for local communities, uh, especially rural communities, tribal communities that are underserved and underdeveloped. Uh, it will be a major boon for for all of us. Well, and it certainly. It certainly was a Christmas present to you guys and to the state of Montana as well. The Federal Quarter ID and Development Program. Congratulations on that. We look forward to following the story. That's for sure, Jason. And uh, if you get it done, I'll be one of the first on those trains, okay? All right. Well, we look forward to having you on there, Tom. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. Again, Jason Stewart with the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. And join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana on local stations all across Montana.